Hello listeners, I'm Tom Braviti. And I'm Emily Swaddle, and welcome to the Carbon Removal Show. Emily, what are we talking about today? Well, we've got a bit of a different episode today, Tom. I think our listeners are going to love it because there's a lot of useful stuff in this episode, and I'm not talking like how to start your own biojar business out your backyard. I'm talking like practical things that our listeners might want to know right here, right now. Mm. We are talking about offsetting flights. Now, listeners out there, you know that earlier this year, the Carbon Removal Show team took a trip to Iceland. We were very excited about it. We've not stopped going on about it. And the past few episodes have been about that trip. But you know, you can't travel that far without having a carbon impact. And we want to address that in this episode today. Because it's not just as simple as like, okay, so we flew this far, so we know that that's this many tonnes of carbon in the atmosphere, and so we have to pay this much money to offset it. If only it were that simple. If only. (laughs) I think it'd be really interesting to discuss why we wanted to do this in the first place. Why we wanted to offset our flights. Yeah, I think that's a good question, Tom. I mean, personally, from my perspective, I avoid flying when I can. Mm -hmm. but sometimes you can't and actually I even feel bad saying that because like I could just not go to these places that I can only get to through flying but I do and I fly and then the way I sort of justify that is by offsetting those flights and hopefully offsetting it in a bit more of a thorough way than just sort of casually oh yeah casual offset (laughs) casual offsets is that a thing But I think that's, you know, that's one of my reasons is that I feel like when I'm flying, I'm making a mess in the environment and I'm trying to clean it up a bit with the offsets. How about you, Tom? How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think I resonate with everything that you've said. I think to add on to that, for me, something that's going to be quite interesting or something that's interesting about this process, and I think it's just a really useful, like educational process to go through. I think just regardless, if you're researching something like this, you're going to uncover more climate-related information that's not just to do with your flights. Yeah, I just think it just broadly will increase my awareness of this. I mean, it kind of makes lots of sense for us to do this as well. I mean, we're doing a podcast on carbon removal. So what better way to have an impact than to invest in potential carbon removal offsets? Yeah, (laughs) you're right, Tom, that, you know, from a podcast content perspective, it's actually very handy because we get to do a fun episode about this particular example. As an individual, there's something about taking responsibility for my consumer habits, and particularly because my consumer habits are very privileged, as you say, you know, like there's such a small percentage of the world that gets to consume in the way that I do, and I've got to take some responsibility for that. Totally. I feel like this is a nice juxtaposition because usually we talk about this a lot. And in this episode, we're taking action in a way that's different from the action we've been taking previously. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Mm, We're really turning the spotlight around because normally we put the spotlight on other people or projects or technologies or whatever. And now the spotlight's on us. So here we are trying to take some responsibility for our consumer habits. Even that we recognise is something that we can do because we have the time, the resources, the space to have learned and to learn about all this, you know? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I just don't know if I do have all the resources to take responsibility for my consumer footprint. And we hear you, we respect that. The other thing to note is that this isn't really our personal consumer footprint because we are doing this as part of a work travel trip. 
So we're doing RF saying from a business perspective. And this is a really important conversation for businesses to be having, you know, especially now as businesses are coming under increasing pressure from policy and consumers to be aware of their carbon footprint, but not just being aware, but taking action to reduce their footprint and to offset anything that they haven't yet reduced. We hope this episode just gives you some insight into the processes that we've gone through to figure out the footprint associated with our travel to the decisions that we've made about how we're going to offset this. So, Tom, I have two interviews to share with you today. Exciting. Who are they with? It is exciting. Well, the first one, I think you're going to recognise. My name is Henry. I work as the research and fact checker for the Carbon Removal Show. I do that by by night, by day. I work on, on climate policy. So I've got a few fingers and a few net zero related pies. You might have some fans out there who, you know, hear you on the credits every week. I certainly am a big fan of the fact checker of my favourite podcasts. <laughs> anyway, so tell us why you think it's important that the show has a researcher and fact checker. First of all, when we start talking about emissions, emissions are very complicated. Complicated in themselves and how they work in the atmosphere, and then complicated in how we try to account for them. That's not to say that everyone can't have a go at it. It's just you start to see that it really matters how you account for your emissions. It matters where you draw the, the boundaries on how you count emissions as well. And when we're starting to talk about facts and figures, there are lots of different competing claims. I would say that having a research and a fact checker doesn't make sure that everything is completely accurate, but it opens up a process where various claims that are made and various facts and figures that are thrown out there can be put through some process of scrutiny. That's not to say that listeners shouldn't scrutinize further what they hear, have a look at our sources and then come to their own opinion. But what we try to do is come to something which seems like a reasonable representation of current knowledge and the best expertise out there. Yeah, and I suppose that's sort of true for a lot of shows, but particularly for carbon removal. Yes. The research in the carbon removal space is at an early stage. We don't have many facilities around the world that are actually doing carbon removal. There are still so many lessons to be learned. And when we do have quite as much uncertainty, it is important to scrutinize some of the claims being made. And there are lots of very, very bright experts in the field and very, very impressive scrutiny from various different environmental groups and some public conversation going on about carbon removal. But it's all still not necessarily all working from the same assumptions or the same fact sheet. And so we don't have definitive answers to many of the questions. Henry seemed like the perfect person to talk to about this, because when I think about how am I going to go about offsetting my flights, the main thing that comes into my head is, oh, that sounds like a lot of research. And luckily, Henry is employed for that very activity. <laughs> And not just that, you know, he's a bit of a whiz when it comes to all things carbon and really knows his stuff. So I first wanted to ask Henry about why we're talking about flights in particular. We know that our carbon footprint is made up of so much more than that. And sure, flights are bad, but isn't everything kind of bad? Supplying is a very controversial topic for sure, but I think it's controversial due to some things wider than, than just the emissions alone. So if we just look at emissions first, if we look at all greenhouse gas emissions, then flying makes up about 2% of all emissions, which sounds like a small share. 
I mean, it is a small share, but that's still, I think, just over a billion tons of CO2 equivalent. If we just look at CO2 emissions, it's 2.5%. But then it's important that we look beyond just the CO2 emissions. So flying emits all kinds of things, a whole cocktail of, of emittents, including nitrogen oxides, water vapor, soot, sulfate, aerosols. And all of these things are emitted at various different altitudes as the plane goes up and the plane stays at height as the plane goes down. So if we look at all of these impacts in the round, then flying makes up three and a half percent of that overall impact that humans are having. That's one way of framing it. The other way you could look at this is looking at flying against different modes of travel and flying comes out almost always on top in, the, in that case. And you've also got to consider that flight journeys are often much, much longer than your car journeys, your truck journeys, your train journeys, whatever. And the final thing that I wanted to touch on is the justice element or the fairness element of this. So the majority of the emissions I've spoken about are emitted by a minority of frequent flyers. And even in the UK, I am a flyer and that that already puts me in 50% of the population. And if you start to look across the, the global population, you start to realize if you do take flights, you really are in a global minority. So, you know, you said that the majority of the emissions come from a small, tiny percentage of frequent flyers. So if we just imagine that I'm not a frequent flyer, I fly, you know, maybe once or twice a year to go on holiday... What is like the best case scenario in terms of the impact of my flight? If I have to fly, what is a good way to make sure that I'm doing it in a way that's going to have the lowest impact, if there is such a thing? The first thing I'd say is uh, looking into the definition of what a frequent flyer is. It's actually much, much lower than I thought it was. In some cases, as soon as you're over two flights a year, two return flights, then you are in the frequent flyer class. The, the definition of frequent flying is far less frequent than I thought it was. Secondly, so I think there are some factors which can make flying marginally better, but I think these are fairly hard to get to from a consumer's point of view. Factors which matter a lot is the type of engine, the type of aircraft, uh, the wings, whether they have winglets at the end, uh, which decrease the kind of air resistance. Things like how are the seats laid out in the plane? So whether you choose to go economy or business class or first class, economy class is definitely better given the number of seats that are being squeezed in. I didn't consider myself a, a frequent flyer until Henry told me those stats about how often you have to fly to be considered frequent flyer. And, you know, I, I guess I knew that there's so much of the world that has never flown and never flies, but it's just not something I really think about when I get on an aeroplane, you know, and you go through a bustling airport with like thousands of other people. Mm. Yeah, that was an eye opener for me as well. Yeah, it really sort of puts it into perspective for me. Okay, so when it comes to offsets, what sort of considerations do we need to be thinking about here? So many, Tom. Offsetting is maybe a bit of a minefield. I think the first distinction that I want to draw, and we've spoken about this previously in this show, is between emissions avoidance offsets and emissions removal offsets. So the majority of offsets that you see out there at the moment are emissions avoidance offsets. It might be fuel efficient cookstoves in a lower income country. It could be a renewable energy project, often again in a lower income country. It can be preventing deforestation. 
So a forest already stands and you're making sure that that forest isn't cut down. So there's a whole range of things there and a whole range of routes to impact. But often what they're trying to achieve is you say, oh, I've emitted this somewhere, but I'm going to prevent this emission elsewhere. Emissions removal offsets are a more niche area of the marketplace. And we know from the carbon rule show what these projects tend to look like. So it could be tree planting and forestry management programs. It could be direct air capture, biochar, soil carbon. It could be, it could be a whole range of things. Beyond that distinction, then I think it's really important to look out for independent verification and certification of offsets. So I think globally, this is maybe not as regulated a space as many people would like it to be. There's a few different certification schemes out there. For example, there's uh, gold standard, VERA, voluntary offset standards, just to name a few. All of these have slightly different approaches. And I think ultimately there's work going on at the UN level to try and standardize some of these methodologies. So we're all working from the same page and maybe eventually all working from the same system. But if you do have some kind of accreditation against these different schemes, then it helps to put more levels of assurance in place that the offset that you're buying into actually does have the impact that you intended. And there's a whole load of research you can do about the differences between different schemes, which ones have various different features that you prefer and protect against some of the things that we might be worried about. So I don't have time to do all that research, but I see when I buy my flight that I can click a button that says offset this flight. And it's usually like a pound or maybe one pound 20. Is that all right? Is that good enough? Like, can I just do that? Yes. So I think there are a few reasons to approach those kind of tick box options with quite a lot of caution. So firstly, often the trick is in the small print or that's the real detail that you need to look into. And it's not necessarily a guarantee that all of the emissions associated with your part of that flight are going to be offset. So sometimes it might just be contributing to a fund, which then will ultimately fund some kind of project somewhere in the world. But in many cases, you don't get a whole lot of traceability and you also won't have your whole personal impact offset by just that click of a button. So I'm, I'm sorry to say that's, that it, it's an easy way out, but it doesn't actually really get you to where you probably want to be if you're a climate conscious individual. The other thing I'd say is that I think we should generally be a bit suspicious of cheaper offsets, as in many cases, projects done well will not be in the single digits of dollars or euros or pounds. Uh, I've heard some experts say that any offsets which are below about 20 pounds, or I think that's about 24 US dollars, then you should be very suspicious of, of any offsets below that price. That's not to say there aren't some exceptions to that rule, but you can approach, you can use that as a general rule of thumb, perhaps. I am listening to all of this nuance that you're giving us, and I'm just feeling like who has the time to do this, apart from people whose job it is to research this sort of thing. And it makes me a bit angry. Like, why is this on me as a flyer, as a consumer? Why is it not on the airline themselves to offset their emissions? They're the ones who are actually emitting. I'm just paying for a service. Lots of interesting things there. Um, I think ultimately, when it comes down to who's responsible, that is a profoundly political question. What I 
would say on the politics side and who's responsible is that aviation emissions have not always conventionally been in various different country targets or even international targets. Often aviation emissions are excluded from national emissions inventories in some form. However, from an individual point of view, there's been plenty of nuance here, but I would like to offer some hope. <laughs> the first thing I do is calculate your emissions independently. I'd recommend atmosphere, but there are probably other robust calculators out there. Just make sure they're including those non-CO2 impacts as well as just direct CO2 emissions. And then the second thing I'd do is probably go to one of the verifiers of carbon offset projects, and they will list out the different projects that you can support. And I'd support them directly through that. Or if you know a project specifically, which could be an emissions removal project like Climeworks, then you can fund them directly and go to the website and, and do it that way. So I think you can lean a lot on the research of others. You don't have to do that much work to be better than that tick box option. Here's another question. How do we actually know what our emissions are? Very good question, Tom. I don't know what our emissions are, but Henry does. First of all, I used a few different airline calculators to see what our emissions came out at. There are loads of calculators online and quite a few gave consistent results. Quite a few gave slightly different results. And then I heard about the, the recommendation of, of atmosphere, looked into that, and that asked me a few more questions than quite a few other calculators. So quite a few calculators ask if you travel in economy or business class or first class. But it also asked me if I knew the, the type of plane that, that I traveled on. So lots of different details there. So ultimately, the different answers probably come down to different assumptions behind that. If I look at four return flights from Heathrow to Keflavik, which is the airport in Iceland that we flew into, it comes out at 3,037 kilograms of CO2 equivalent. So that's including those non-CO2 impacts, about three tons of emissions. There are some details though, so <laughs> I'll be quick. So one way of emissions accounting, which is popular, is that you look at what you've financed more so than just what you've done. And I, I don't want to pile on the, what was already a very stressful situation, Emily, but I guess we have a decision to make about whether to offset the flight that wasn't taken and whether to add on the, the flight that we did take instead. So that there's a decision to arrive at our exact number. Also, what atmosphere allows is that if you don't specify the type of aircraft that you took, it will adjust the emissions that are associated with your flight, depending on which airline you took. And they have scored loads of different airlines, depending on kind of a normal operational activity and the emissions normally associated with that. And that takes into account whether they're transporting cargo, how many passengers tend to be on board, how full they make the planes normally. So Atmosphere have done a lot of this underlying research, and then it tells me that the emissions were actually closer to four tons. Um, so it does make quite a big difference, according to this research that Atmosphere have done. What were some of the takeaways that you had coming off the back of that conversation with Henry? I think, first of all, I just was really appreciative of Henry giving us like tangible, simple steps that mean we can do more than just tick that box that the airline offers when you go and buy your flight. But it's not going to take up, you know, days of your life doing all of this research into the different options, finally calculating exactly how much carbon you've emitted. So I feel like that's 
definitely something practical that I'm taking away from that conversation. Thank you, Henry. Don't tick that box, essentially. (laughs) Or do, but be suspicious of it. Yes. And then do something else as well. When we're talking about carbon removals, this actually feels like an industry where carbon removal offsets can have a really big impact. Because there is no clear path to decarbonisation, and because cutting back on flying feels like it's going against the cultural tide of the moment, you know? And even if we did cut back on flying, that feels inequitable in itself. You know, it's like all these rich people have flown too much, and so now everyone else in the world will never get the chance to fly because we can't expand the industry because we've overdone it. So I guess I'm left with the question of, is there a way that we can use carbon removal offsets widely in this industry without it counteracting any attempts to reduce industry emissions and progress the industry towards decarbonisation? Just a little small question to leave us with on my reflections of Henry's interview. (laughs) Emily's reflections have landed. They're so safely on the runway and and unpacking themselves. Please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened until we've come to a complete stop. Totally agree with your reflections on the need for carbon removal in an industry like aviation. If there is no clear decarbonisation pathway, then it does feel as though carbon removal can and may well become a totally necessary part of that industry. The only final thought I have off the back of what Henry was saying was this question about who takes responsibility you know, on a country level for these flights. I think there's a lot to unpack there and something for another episode. But that's something that has definitely piqued my interest intellectually and I want to spend more time looking into. Yeah, there's so much to dive into here and we could probably do a whole podcast about flights and how to offset them. Podcast idea, jot that one down. But for now, I want to introduce our second interview of the episode. Who is it? I'm excited. So this isn't all just chat, you know, we're actually going to offset our flights and we are going to do it through Patch. Patch, you're thinking, where have I heard that name before? That's right, they're the sponsors of our show. And we wanted to put our money where our mouth is and Patch seemed like a really good fit for us to offset our emissions. Cards on the table, it was not a requirement of our contract with Patch that we use them to offset our emissions and we haven't had a special rate or anything. We just really wanted to use their service. So we spoke with Ariel Haywood, the Sustainability and Carbon Solutions Lead. We didn't actually calculate our emissions through the Patch platform, but this is something that Patch offers as a service for some types of activities. Typically, Patch works directly with businesses. Ariel tells us more. So we've got a couple of different groups of customers. I would say the first is folks looking to purchase carbon credits for their own company emissions. So these are folks who are have calculated their footprint, have committed to climate action, have taken as many steps as they possibly can to decarbonize their own supply chains, their own value chains, and they're dealing with this kind of tranche of emissions called unavoidable emissions. And so they come to us seeking credits that they can purchase to neutralize those unavoidable emissions. That's the first group. The second group is really what we call uh, kind of our integrators. So those are folks looking to embed carbon credits into a product or experience that they are building. So those customers are excited about the infrastructure capabilities that we bring to the table and want to provide either their 
B2B customers, so business customers or end consumers with the ability to purchase carbon credits from these projects in order to catalyze carbon removal efforts. So one example is we have a partnership with Afterpay, a buy now, pay later platform. And if you are an Afterpay customer, you can go directly into your Afterpay app, go to your profile, and there's kind of a carbon neutrality option in there, a carbon credit purchase option within there that will estimate your footprint associated with your purchases. And then you actually can go through several of the projects from the patch network that Afterpay has chosen to surface. And you can purchase credits directly from that that tie to your footprint associated with your purchases. So that's one example of an integration that's directly serves consumers. And there are others like that. So you can go into different kind of dashboards that we have integrated with and, and access our credits that way. Patch works directly with businesses, but Patch's technology is delivered in such a way that it facilitates customers offsetting their purchases. I'm curious to know then, what does this customer experience look like for a business using Patch? So you'll come, you'll talk to one of us first. You'll have a conversation first with one of the Patch team members, because what we really want to ensure, because there is so much nuance in carbon credits, we want to ensure that you're purchasing the carbon credits that align with your goals and also the claims that you're making. So you will have a chat with myself or someone else on the team We'll talk through exactly what you're trying to accomplish. We'll talk through our project portfolio with you. Which projects do we have within our network? And we'll do that by creating for you a login to our patch dashboard. So you'll have this dashboard. We'll kind of hop on a Zoom call, walk you through how it works. And you can ask us questions that you have on this project, that project. When you're in the dashboard, you can filter by different project types, vintages, locations, things like that. So it's very much kind of an e-commerce experience. Then when you're ready, you feel very comfortable and confident in the projects that you're going to purchase credits from, you can do so directly in the dashboard for this case. So you go in and you say purchase and you can either pay with a credit card or we can invoice you. So it really is pretty flexible. It doesn't take more than a few minutes once you have the credits that you want to purchase already selected. So obviously we're interested in the carbon removal credits, but Patch does have a wide range of both removals and avoidance credits available. What I wanted to know is how Patch assesses the projects that they work with. We put the utmost premium on ensuring that the projects that are being purchased or the credits that are being purchased on Patch are from projects that are creating the climate impact that they claim they are creating. We really have two primary approaches to this. The first is our project selection process. The second is our partnerships with external ratings and analysis providers. And I'll touch on that a bit as well. So that first piece around project selection we understand uh, and we really prioritize the value of trusted projects. If a buyer is going to purchase a carbon credit, they need to know that exactly what they're purchasing and the claims associated with what they're purchasing. We require that all of the projects within our network have third-party verification of that approach. So there needs to be a methodology in place that the scientific community has reviewed. The second is verification of outcomes. So again, third-party scientific Folks who are really deep in these project types need to go in and verify those outcomes. And then the third part is that there is a very clear system of record for all of the credit transactions that happen, all the purchases that have been made. So it's clear that there's no double counting. And then we display a lot of that detail within the project dashboard itself. So our buyers have access to that and can see how these projects are managing that. That's our project selection process. The second part is our partnerships with external ratings and analysis providers. Folks like B0 Carbon, 
carbon plan, what we actually do there is we pipe ratings and analysis from those providers into the dashboard itself. So if a project has been rated by B0 Carbon in terms of how it performs on additionality, permanence, leakage, overcrediting, things like that, that is visible within the dashboard so our buyers know what they're getting. And similar for Carbon Plan, some of these frontier carbon removal solutions, if they've been reviewed by Carbon Plan, it's available within the CDR database, we will pipe in those ratings as well. Obviously, one of the big factors when people are looking at buying offsets is cost. And there's actually a really big price range when it comes to carbon offsets. So much more than others. And should we be paying the most to get the best? Do we have to pay the most to get the best? So this is where this is where I spend a lot of my time. And what what I really encourage customers to do is put as much as of that budget as possible into these frontier carbon removal solutions and do that in a way that aligns with their claims. And that's why there's so much nuance. There's a lot of hands-on work that needs to be done as a lot of the times when you're purchasing credits from these frontier carbon removal solutions, you're actually pre-purchasing credits. You're purchasing credits that will be produced when these projects scale up, right? So you're saying, I will purchase this credit. I'm, I'm purchasing it today, but it may not come available until X year. The reason I'm doing that, though, is I'm catalyzing this change. Now, if you are a customer who already has to say, based on some claim that's already been made, maybe that your uh, company has said, we want to be carbon neutral every single year. You need to make sure that you're balancing that frontier purchase with kind of more traditional credits that have already been produced. So known as ex post credits. And so there is a lot of nuance. And so every single use case, we have to take kind of one by one and, and help folks through. Now that said, my personal, and this is the reason I do the work that I do and why I get so excited to, to do this work is there's an opportunity right now to catalyze the scale up of these carbon removal solutions that we know we need. And so I always encourage folks to put as much of that budget as possible into these frontier carbon removal solutions and work with a trusted partner to do so. There's a lot of murky waters to wade through right now in the carbon markets, as we know. Uh, you all do a great job of talking through that on the show. But we are not going to achieve the carbon removal scale that we need without starting now. And so that's really what I encourage folks to do is put as much as you can into those solutions. Having spoken to Ariel, the whole framing around investing in carbon removal and offsets more broadly to negate our impact when it comes to flying and aviation has been really helpful. I think we've learned a huge amount and it's great to see the measurement and the reporting and the vetting process that goes behind the projects that Patch partners with. However, I'm brought back to this concern I have, which came up earlier in the episode around decarbonizing this industry of aviation, are we always going to be having to offset our flights forever? Is this going to be something that we cannot avoid? It's a good question, Tom, and actually something that I asked Henry when I spoke to him. I would say a first principle is always to avoid the flight if you can. And that, that in itself brings about a lot of value judgments that you have to make. And there'll be a lot of discrepancy between what some people think is a necessary flight versus what other people think is a necessary flight. Ultimately, if we look at demand and how airline companies respond to changes in demand, one person not taking a flight will not make a difference. However, there are definitely changes which you don't necessarily need a huge number of people to make in order to change airline behavior. So we see it quite often when there's a 
bad event that happens in a certain country or like at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic when flights in and out of Wuhan very quickly went off limits. Airlines do respond and they do shift their, their operational pattern depending on where demand for flights is and where it no longer is. Obviously, the other side of decarbonisation is the technologies and various different replacement fuels that we might be able to use to reduce emissions from the sector and whether we can hope towards a low or no carbon future of aviation. I would say increasingly what I hear is we still don't have a particularly clear vision. There's lots of innovation going on uh, to do with various different sustainable aviation fuels, to do with electric powered planes, hydrogen powered planes. There's lots of different options, but I think there are still fundamental technological and financial challenges to a lot of these routes. They're not insurmountable, but I'd say that that leaves us very much in a situation where if you are going to fly, then offsets really are one of your only options for reducing the impact of, of that flight. So Emily, we've got all this information. Where have we landed with this? What are we doing? Okay, so thanks to Henry's research, we have come to the figure of 4.5 tonnes of carbon dioxide. That's how much we need to offset with our carbon removal credits. That's going to cover our flights to and from Iceland. We've set up a call with Patch. We are ready to discuss the options with them. We're really excited to hear their solution. We know that they're going to have something that is going to fit our criteria. It's going to take into consideration all of the factors that we think are super important. Permanence, obviously, because we are such big fans of permanence. The co-benefits, diversity of solution, cost is a really important one, obviously. If you're interested to hear more about that, follow us on social media because we'll be sharing the details of our purchases around the time that this episode is released. We've covered a lot in this episode. I think there's been lots that we have uncovered that we hadn't necessarily recognised or been aware of before. And I'm really looking forward to confirming the purchases that we make ultimately with regards to offsetting our footprint. Yeah, I tell you what I've enjoyed about this episode, Tom. Tell me. All the things we've talked about for like a season and a half now some of them can feel quite distant, like, oh, you know, people over there doing that have to deal with it, or people who are working in this particular field have to deal with it. But we have to deal with it. You know, we are also carbon emitters, and we have to deal with this. And we've had the chance to, like, really get into that today. You know, we recognise that there is a whole social and political debate around where the responsibility lies when it comes to carbon emissions and offsetting them and reducing them where the power lies in all of that. But without getting too deep into that debate, many businesses have the opportunity to take action on their carbon footprint. And we just think it's a really important thing to do. And we're here to help in our own small way. This episode's been refreshing for me. We obviously spend our time talking about carbon removal and the climate more broadly and the need for businesses, governments, policymakers to get involved with this. However, we haven't necessarily put our money where our mouth is as such. And this episode, it feels like we really have. And that's been a really refreshing moment. I've really enjoyed that. Having had a go ourselves, we wanted to look further afield and speak with businesses that are tackling the emissions measurement, the reduction piece, and investing in carbon removal on a broader scale. We'll be covering exactly this over the next couple of episodes. So stay tuned. Can't wait. See you then. See you next time. This is 
inspired by what you've heard so far and you wish you could do more to rid the atmosphere of carbon, great news, you can. Head to patch.io slash TCRS to learn how. Thanks to everyone who makes this show possible. Our researcher and fact checker, Henry Irvine. Our composer, Sam Carter. Our graphic designer, Reke Campbell. Our content manager, Jordan Brooks. Our guest booker, Anna DeWolf-Evans. Our editor, Mercy Barno. Our producer, Ben Weaver-Hinks. Our project manager, Patrick Carter. And our executive producer, Sam Floyd. Thank you so much for listening to The Carbon Removal Show. Follow us on Twitter at RestoredCC. Follow us on LinkedIn at The Carbon Removal Show. And you can visit our website, restored.cc. We're all over the internet. And please remember to give us a rate and review. It really makes a difference. Thank you so much. High fruition.